Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Uh, we had a great time here with Rob yesterday. He He did kind of a short encouragement teaching for a lot of the healing room volunteers, and uh, he blessed our socks off. Yeah. <laughs> Supersonic. <laughs> so come on up, Rob. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. We sure enjoyed it last year. Thank you. Bless you. Hallelujah. Uh, he and his wife, Mary, if you've not met them, uh, have a great work going in Botswana, Africa. And they've got a table out here with more information uh, that you, you'll want to check out afterward. Uh, but I'm, I'm just anxious to see what the Lord has for us from you today. Amen. Thank Amen. You. Praise the Lord. My name is Robert, for those that don't know me. Uh, my wife, Mary, is uh, in New Hampshire, uh, visiting her folks while I do a little bit of traveling. And uh, we want to first uh, thank the church for standing with us and supporting us. Uh, thank God that the church is partnering with us and the work in Botswana, and also for those individuals who are also partnering with us. Is this Okay. I'm not used to this uh, high-tech stuff. I work in Africa. Okay. So um, just to tell you a little bit about um, our successes, because they're your successes as well. Uh, the, we have three churches that we started since 2007. All of them are doing well and growing in the Lord, both in numbers and spiritually. Uh, I have a Bible school also that I run, uh, which we had about 20 students this year from about nine different churches. Also, we have a program for kids where they come and play sports, and we talk to them about the Lord. Many parents would not allow their children to come necessarily to church because of the occultic background that we're laboring in. But we get them by bringing them, playing sports, talking to them about the Lord. Many of them have gotten saved through that, and we have many of them now in our church. Also, uh, there's about 300 kids in that. Also, the government gave us five acres of land. We're building an orphan center for our children there. About 20% of the children in our town are orphans. Because of the HIV virus, over 50% of our adults in my town are HIV positive, which is creating a tremendous social gap and a tremendous need for the church to step forward. The government of Botswana is actually looking to the church now for solutions and saying, you know, do something, help us, uh, because what we've tried is not working. Uh, we have also received a grant from the government. We go into the public schools teach on abstinence. Uh, last year, we spoke to about 7,000 young people. Uh, from anywhere from 8th grade to high school, both in our city and in the surrounding villages. Uh, we were rated the number one abstinence program in the country by the government. Praise the Lord. On, on every Friday morning, I speak at a public school to about 760 children and 25 teachers. Uh, the school grades have gone up. Last year, it was 17%. They received an award for the increase uh, in their academics. And I got an award for contributing to that. Praise the Lord. And um, also my wife runs a ministry in two different cities, 
And now we have found a farm that we're buying so that we can become more self-sufficient. So we have come back to the States looking for partners, laborers, uh, because the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. And so we would ask you to just prayerfully consider getting involved with us. And we want to again thank you for your part in what is happening in Botswana. Amen. Let me pray and then we'll see where the Lord takes us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. And Lord, we ask for grace to hear and grace to communicate what your spirit is saying. And Jesus, we thank you that you have a special plan for our lives. We pray that you lead us and guide us into all truth. For you said that we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. And Father, today we look to your word for truth. We look to your word to help us to go into that place of freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse 3. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, one of the things that I've recognized from my time in Africa and also in my time in the States traveling from churches to church is that many Christians don't understand that there really is a war that we are in. And so we have a group of people in the church who basically... Uh, live kind of an apathetic Christian life, never realizing that there really is a war going on. And then we have another group of Christians who are, have a war mentality, but sometimes find themselves fighting with actually the wrong enemies. They're warring, but they're misunderstanding what the primary war is as a Christian. So Paul says, we have a war, and we have some weapons, hallelujah. And they're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God to pulling down strongholds. Now, a stronghold, just to give some background to those that don't know, a stronghold is either a fortress or a prison. A stronghold is something that keeps others out and you separated from them. So Paul says, we have weapons to pull down these prisons. We have weapons to pull down these forts which are keeping something out and keeping us imprisoned inside. As Christians, we have to understand that many Christians, although they're saved, still live in a place of imprisonment. Many Christians still live separated from God somehow. There is a stronghold between them and God. And then the Bible is going to define for us what these strongholds are. It says, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. These strongholds are not demonic powers over the town. The Bible actually tells us these strongholds are arguments, their knowledge, and their thoughts. 
And so what happens is, as Christians, when the word of God is preached, automatically, if there's a stronghold in our lives, we have arguments against that word that comes to us. When God's word comes and says something, something rises up within us and we argue with that. When God's word is preached, there's another knowledge that comes up against that. When God's word is preached, thoughts come and they barricade us against God. And and God is trying to get us into freedom. But we find that we're arguing and thinking in opposition to his thoughts and his ways. Let me give you an answer. For instance, in Botswana. Botswana, my first church that I am in in Botswana, was started in the poorest area in the country. And so, you know, I prayed and asked the Lord and people got saved and and things began to happen. And I was asking the Lord, you know, what to do for these people that are so poverty stricken? And the Lord told me, talk to them about giving. And when God told me to talk to them about giving, you know what? I argued with that. I had other thoughts. I had other knowledge. I had other ways of thinking that I had been trained as a missionary. Never to talk to them about giving. And finally, I decided to surrender to God and do what he said. And you know, when I began to preach to them about giving, you know what? They had arguments. (laughs) They had thoughts. They had knowledge. But it was those people who cooperated in the war and God began to pull down these strongholds. They begin to experience the freedom of being set free from poverty. They begin to be doers of the word. And God began to bless them as they did the word of God. Hallelujah. So we as Christians need to understand that our primary war is not just with the powers of darkness. Our primary war is with our thoughts, with our arguments, with our knowledge that we've been trained from the time that we were children. Hallelujah. All right. Now turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 55. So what I talk about today, I want you to watch yourself for your arguments. I want you to watch yourself for your thoughts. I want you to watch yourself for the knowledge. Because it's going to come. But one of the things to first is to recognize that I do have arguments and thoughts. Now, the Bible says that the Bereans, when Paul preached, were more noble than anyone else. Because they went and studied the word to find out if it was actually the word of God or not. So I am not asking you simply to believe it because I'm saying it. What I'm asking for you to do is, if it is the word of God, watch for the arguments. Because that's the thing that's keeping God out of our lives. Okay. Isaiah chapter 55. Starting in verse 8. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and prosper in that thing which I sent. 
For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hand. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I have found for my time in church life that there are many people, many Christians who are not experiencing the joy and peace that this talks about. Many of us have actually briars and thorns in our lives. And so God says in this passage, he says, I don't think like you think. And I don't do things your way. And you don't do them my way. And he's not condemning us. He's just saying, you don't think like I think. And you don't do things the way I do them. My thoughts are higher, like the heavens. Your thoughts are like that on the earth. But if you want to have a heavenly life, you must allow God to change the status of your thoughts. In order to have the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have, our thoughts have to become like his thoughts. Our ways have to become like his ways. So God says, I know you have a problem. You don't think like I think. You don't do things my way. So I'm going to send you my word. And my word is going to change the way you think. And that's going to change the way you do things. And when you do that, you shall be led out with joy and go forth with peace. The mountains, the obstacles in your life will begin to clap for you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And instead of a cycle of pain, instead of briars and thorns in your life, they'll come up a myrtle tree and a cypress tree. The myrtle and cypress tree are used for two different things. One is used for flowers, a thing of beauty. The other is used for musical instruments. Instead of thorns and pain, they'll be singing in beauty. When we begin to think like God thinks and act in the way that God would want us to act. Jesus said it this way. He says, if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul says it this way. He says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, be changed by changing the way you think about things. He uses the word metamorpho in the Greek, which is the word which we had from science class. Do you remember that? When we talked about a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. Something that was, to me, ugly. Crawled along the ground. Took a long time to get places. But when it changed, it became something totally unrecognizable. So different that you could not even tell that this was this. This is what Paul is saying. He says, be changed to such an extent that when people look at your lives, they won't even resemble what they used to be like. Your marriage, your family, your health, your life will be so different. You'll have metamorphosed. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind will change and it will allow God to begin to move as he wants to move. You cannot have supernatural life with earthly thoughts and ways of thinking. So he gives us his word. Hallelujah. To change the way we think, to change the way we act, to change our lives and give us the joy and peace which we're longing to have. I was on the mission field for about six years. Everything seemed to be going so well on the outside. 
Church was growing, two churches were growing, people were getting healed, people were getting saved. I had a Bible school that was running, I was feeding kids. And my wife and I were on the verge of divorce. And I was wondering, what's going on? Here I am trying to serve the Lord, she's trying to serve the Lord, and we're on the verge of divorce. And we're preaching the word of God. But you know what I recognized? Our marriage had become a place of thorns and briars. It was painful. It hurt. So what do we have to do? We had to go back and find out the way God thinks about it and begin to do things God's way. And when we begin to do things God's way, our briars and our thorns begin to disappear. Joy and peace begin to come into our marriage. It seemed like the world was clapping their hands for us. And we were able to go back to the mission field. Hallelujah. You know, for some of us, God wants to change the way you think about sickness. And the way we think about disease. And the way we think about cancer and the way we think about diabetes and the way we think about deafness and blindness. God says, I know you don't think about things that way. Let me give you my words so that you'll change the way you think so that you can begin to believe that you lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Hallelujah. I've had the privilege laying my hands on the blind, the deaf, even one mute little boy and seeing him Speak, hallelujah. Blind do see, deaf do hear. Cancers do disappear. Tumors go away. Is it because I'm so wonderful that I'm a man of God? No, God changed the way I think so I could change the way I acted so that he could change the way he was in my life. Hallelujah. Now, let me turn with you to the book of Ephesians. Because because my marriage was almost disintegrated, I have a heart for couples and marriages. When I found Isaiah chapter 55 and understood what it said, it gave me hope. It gave me hope that God could remove the thorns and briars if he could get me to think like he thought. And he brought me to some passages about marriage which begin to change the way I thought, change the way my wife thought, change the way we acted, and gave us a different relationship. Hallelujah. I'd like to share a couple ideas with you today as I move into the main core that I want to leave with you this morning. For those that are married, for those that are not married but want to be married, for those that know people that are married, which basically covers all of us, I think, there are some keys to having a healthy marriage which are in the scriptures. And sometimes they're a little bit hidden to us, and I would just like to bring them out in a few moments. Praise the Lord. Okay? Watch for those arguments. Watch for those thoughts. Watch for that knowledge, okay? I'm going to leave this, and I'm just going to quote a passage from the book of Genesis first. It's a passage that we're familiar with. God creates Adam, 
creates Eve and he brings them together, right? And then God says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be called one flesh. Well, in the Hebrew language, the word joined is not a simple word. In the Hebrew language, the word joined actually means for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and pursue his wife. He should capture his wife. He should keep pursuing his wife. He should capture her. He should overtake her. He should stick close to her. The idea that the the writer, the Holy Spirit is giving is, after you're married, guys, keep pursuing your wife. After I got married, my wife became part of the furniture. And I went on to pursuing other things, good things in my mind. I wasn't out drinking. I wasn't out running around. I was pursuing the ministry. But I was missing God's, one of God's first things he said about marriage. Pursue your wife. Keep capturing her. Keep overtaking her. Keep making her feel special. Keep making her feel like she's number one in your life. What you did when she was your girlfriend, keep doing. Hallelujah. Good preaching, yeah. (laughs) You know, God's word is saying, I know you don't think like I think. This is the thing we have to understand about God. God doesn't waste his words. He only tells us that which he needs to tell us because it's not natural to us. Let me say that again. God tells us what is not natural for us to do. In other words, he doesn't tell us to tie our shoes because he knows he'll tie our shoes. He tells us things about relationships which are not natural for us to do without being told. Hallelujah. So he tells in this passage, he says, guys... Adam, keep pursuing your wife. Keep capturing your wife. You know what I found in marriage counseling? Now that people knew that our marriage was shot, we recovered, we went back to Africa. You know, we were ashamed when we left. When we came back, people now were willing to talk to us about their problems. And you know what the number one problem I found in in marriages for women is? They're looking for the heart of their husband. That's the thing that they want more than anything, is they want to be loved. They want to feel like besides Jesus, if they're saved, besides Jesus, I'm the most important thing in his life. He's pursuing me. I'm still special like I was when I was that young girl. When no one had to tell him to call me or write poems or bring me flowers. No one had to tell him it was automatic. Now God is saying, I'm telling you, keep doing this. Because if you don't, you know what will happen? Her mouth will begin to open. And she'll begin to give you complaints. She'll begin to talk about all the things that you're not doing. That you should be doing. Am I talking to anyone this morning? Am I the only one? (laughs) And she'll begin to complain in an attempt, sometimes not even realizing what she wants is she wants you. 
But you know what happens when a woman complains? The man is told that he should pursue. What does he do when a woman complains? He withdraws. Why? So God has to say, keep pursuing your wife because what is natural is to withdraw from her. That's what I used to do. I used to go into the other room and shut the door. Then my wife would come into that room and I'd leave that room and I'd shut the door behind me. We'd play that, you know, we'd race all over the house. You know, she'd be coming in and I'd be running to the next room. Some we run to our cars. Some we go to our work sheds. Because why? We want to get away from that mouth which is hurting us and conveying to us disapproval. There's one thing men need in a marriage. They need respect. It's a primary need. When women come for marriage counseling, they say, you know, I don't feel like I have my husband's heart when I get down, when I get down to it. And a husband will say, she doesn't respect me. The way she talks to me, the way she acts with me, he's looking for respect. Now, if we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. See, for some people, they say, oh, this is not important. Listen, Ephesians chapter 5 comes before Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about we wrestle not, you know, against, we, but we're wrestling against principalities and powers. You can forget defeating the devil if you can't get your marriage right. That's why it's in order. He says in chapter 6, he says, finally, he says, in light of all the things I'm talking to you about, now put on the whole armor of God. Don't try to do it if your relationships are wrong. The devil will just beat the daylights out of you. It talks about husband-wife relationships, talks about parent-child relationships, talks about workplace relationships. He says, get those right. Get love working in those relationships. Then you're ready to face the devil. Why? You, you may say, well, I don't believe that. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, if I don't treat my wife with understanding, my prayers are hindered. If we're not loving one another, we're not standing on solid ground. Okay. Verse 22. This used to be my favorite verse. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ooh, I know that one so well. And I used to quote it often to Mary. The problem is she knew her Bible well. And she would quote the following verses to me. And so we would launch scriptures at each other and grow further and further apart. This is the point that it says. It says, wives. In other words, it says, husbands, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the lady. This is between me and her. This is not between you and her and me. Wives, this is what I'm asking for you to do. Submit to your husband. Why? It's not going to be natural for you. It's not going to be easy for you. It's a God-given assignment. You're going to have to yield to him when you know that he's probably making a mistake. When you look at him, you say, my IQ is higher than him and he's leading us down the wrong road. We don't agree. You're going to be tempted to stick your heels in the ground and fight. And God is saying, wives, this is my God-given assignment to you. See, I used to meddle in the assignment. I used to say, Mary, all you need to do is submit to me. I mean, 
Just submit. In fact, when we went into counseling, I was expecting the counselor to hear, you know, our sides and just tell Mary, you got a good guy, submit to him. Go back to Africa. <laughs> he didn't say that at all. <laughs> I was so disappointed. <laughs> this is the thing about a Christian marriage. A Christian marriage is, first of all, vertical before it's horizontal. God is the three-strand cord. He is the one asking you to do something. It's between you and him. Hallelujah. Now, guys, this is one thing we have to understand. Submission is not easy. Okay? Submission is not easy. Let me give you an example. How many of you keep the speed limit? Raise your hands. <laughs> oh, look at those ladies. But, oh, just a couple brothers. Why? We're told to submit to the authorities, right? Why don't we do that? Because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> we think we know better. Says 40, we, I mean, this is a big road. There's no one around, right? <laughs> Submission is not an easy thing because it's, it's, our, it's our thoughts. It's our way of thinking. Some of us struggle to put that seatbelt on. We don't like to be followers. We don't like to be told what to do. My brother said, Wyoming is independent, right? Same way where I come from. Now, it says, The husband is head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. Now, there's an important word here that is often missed when men talk about being the authorities in their home, and it's the word as. It's actually saying in the same spirit in which Christ exercises authority over the church, that should be the spirit in which a man exercises authority in his marriage and in his home. I had our marriage upside down at one time. Mary was the head of our marriage. She's older than I am. She had a little more life experience. I abdicated. She was the leader. When we went to the mission field, we were on equal ground. We both knew nothing. I took the position of being the leader. And I took it. But I didn't take it in the spirit of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? Authority is to be exercised in the spirit in which Jesus would exercise it. Hallelujah. The husband is head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay, just one more note, ladies, and then I'll get off. Submission is only comes into play when you disagree. Otherwise, you're walking in agreement. Submission means to yield, to rank yourself under. It means when you don't agree, you say, okay, honey, we can go your way. But you don't say, okay, honey, we always have to do it your way. <laughs> Mr. Perfect. <laughs> you're always right, and I'm always wrong, so we'll do it your way. Have you, I mean... Those were conversations that I'm glad those thorns have disappeared for the most part. So submission is even higher than obedience. Obedience, you can tell a child in Africa, you can tell a child, carry this bucket of water from there to there and they'll carry it. But they can be grumbling all the way. They're not submitting. 
Okay? So there is a difference, ladies, the, the spirit in which we yield. How about this passage? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Is it easy to yield to God when he asks us to do things? Sometimes not, right? If God said to you, hey, I want you to move from Wyoming, and you join that brother in Botswana, some of you would say, hey, no, I don't want to do that. I got my plans. Praise the Lord. So submission only comes into play when you don't agree. And it is a vertical assignment. Okay, guys, now I'm going to get heavy on you. Husbands, this is between the husband and God. Wives, don't be the Holy Spirit in your house. You're not good at it. Okay, don't take God's place. Let God have his place. Let him communicate directly to your husband. The Bible says you will not win your husband over with your words. You will not. Men are not like that. They don't want a mommy. They want a wife. Don't mother. You'll be tempted to mother. Don't do it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why is it telling husbands to love like this? Because it's not natural for us. It talks about here giving ourselves for our wives as Christ gave himself for the church. Now this word give in the Greek language means to give yourself, to be judged, crucified, and condemned. Which means, guys, sometimes your wife is going to judge you, crucify you, and condemn you, and you got to keep loving her while she's doing that, to be like Christ. That he may sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Here's another big one. Christ is using his word to affect his bride. One of the other complaints about in marriage counseling is the woman says, we never talk. I've never had a man come to marriage counseling and say, we don't communicate. But I've had a lot of ladies come and say, we don't communicate, we don't talk. And my wife used to say this to me, and I used to say to her, we talk all the time. We work together. She'd say things like, we're never together. I say, we're always together. We're always going to this church meeting together. We're always preaching here together. We're always singing here. We're always together. And she said, but we're not together. Because why? You're not talking to me about me and you. You're not sanctifying. I wasn't sanctifying her with the conversation. I talked when I had to talk. I like being quiet. I like coming home from work and going in my room or watching a game. But I realized what this is saying to us men is saying, it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. You've got to learn to talk. She needs your words. And it is a God-given assignment to us men. Now, some men don't struggle with this, but they're the small minority. Most of us struggle to talk enough. Ladies, am I lying? No. Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. So guys, just be aware that this is what the Bible is saying to us, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she should be holy 
and without blemish. What this is saying is, your words, because you're an authority figure in the home, have the ability to change the people that are under your authority to make them special and beautiful. This is the thing even about parenthood. In parenthood, you have authority to fulfill a responsibility to these children, to the family. It's not authority to do what you want to do. And because you're an authority figure, your words carry such weight. Hallelujah. You can express belief and faith in someone, and it can cause them to rise up. Praise the Lord. But there's some people who are still struggling over authority figures in our life who use their words improperly on us. In Africa, we struggle with men taking their places because why? Their mothers or their fathers always told them that they wouldn't be anything. That they were dumb, they were stupid, they were worthless, they were lazy, they were this, they were that. And they, they, they find themselves struggling in a world without positive enforcement from authority figures. All right. Verse 28, I'm almost done. For the husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Now, here's two more things in marriage. It says the husband is to nourish and cherish his wife. In the Greek language, the word nourish means to bring to maturity. In other words, the husband is to help the wife become everything that she is meant to be. How does he do that? He talks to her. He encourages her. He chases her. He pursues her. He helps her to become that which she is meant to be. Hallelujah. You know, when I got married to Mary, I really wanted her in the back. You know, I was the guy doing the ministry, and I wanted her to basically be the silent partner in marriage and just stay in the background. Not realizing that God wanted her to use her, and then when God wanted to use her, she didn't think that God could really use her. So what did I do? I needed to use my words and begin to call that which was in her out. And now she's affecting hundreds of women's lives. Why? Part of, the way, part of the reason why is because I talked to her. I believed in her. I nourished her. And she began to say, I can do this. And then when she did, I said, see, honey, and you can do even more. And you can do more. Hallelujah. Husbands, we can nourish our wives. And it says we should cherish our wives. And this is where I really fell down. The word cherish means to keep warm. When we got to marriage counseling, when we went for our first marriage counseling, the counselor thought what I thought was a stupid question. He asked what I thought was a stupid question. He said, Robert, do you love Mary? I said, of course I do. I love her. He said, Mary, do you love Robert? She said, no. She said, he has killed off every last feeling that I have for him. I have nothing. There's nothing there. 
And I knew we're in trouble. Because we had stopped fighting. We had gotten to the place where we weren't fighting anymore. We were just coexisting in the house together. You know, when you're fighting, at least there's, there's more hope because it means that you're in pain and it means you still care and it means you're still, you're still reaching out for help. But when, when people go cold, that's when it's really worse. But God can even bring it back from there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But she had grown cold because why? I wasn't cherishing her. I wasn't keeping her warm towards me. I wasn't pursuing. I wasn't making her feel special. I wasn't talking to her. So what happened? The warmth that she had when I was chasing her and which we had at the altar was now gone. Because why? I didn't keep her warm. Guilty. Thank God I have a forgiving wife and a forgiving God and a God who can change my thorns and briars into joy and peace. Hallelujah. Now, let me just go a little bit deeper and then I'll pull out my main point and I'll close, okay? Children and parents. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. And how does a father provoke his child to wrath? Well, one of the ways he provokes his children to wrath is he only talks to them when he's correcting them. He, he's not an authority figure like Christ is an authority figure. So children get broken spirited when they feel like, you know what, no matter what I do, it's not good enough. And he only pays attention to me, you know, when it's an assignment. You are an, a representative of God the Father to that child. They're going to view the character of God coming through that human lens. Now, some of us, we've had to overcome the fact that our fathers were not the greatest and attach ourselves to a father that we have now, our heavenly father who's good, who loves us, who notices us, who knows every hair on our head, who knows our downsitting and our uprising. He loves us. Hallelujah. And then it says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your mother and father. We live in a day in which that seems to be absent from society. You know what it means to obey your parents? It means, the, the Greek word means, as if you're waiting for someone to knock on the door, that you might run and open it. In other words, the word to obey your parents means you're eager to hear them ask you to do something. You want them to give you a request so that you can obey it. You're waiting for that as if you were waiting for a special guest to come to your house. Do you remember when we were kids? We acted like we couldn't hear our parents. <laughs> they said, oh, I didn't hear you. <laughs> oh, I don't remember you saying that. That's the opposite of what this word is saying. And then it says, honor your parents. If there's any young person or even an older person right here, the word honor means to hold them up like a prize, to value them like a trophy. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful for some of us parents to feel like our children actually value us and prize us and appreciate the fact that we got up during the night when they were sick and we provided a home and a house for them and we, we went out to work and we gave and we gave. Why? Because we love them. God is saying honor them. Esteem them, value them, prize them. It comes with a blessing in your life. And I have to say something here. God is not saying in any of this if they deserve it. He's not saying honor your parents if they deserve it. Rob, you don't understand. My father was an alcoholic. Honor him. Prize him. Find something good. Well, there's not much good. He was abusive. If you honor him, if you prize him, God will look down and say, you're doing my word. I'm going to change your life. Things will go well with you. That's the promise. It will go well with you on the earth. You'll live a long life. It can't go well if you're harboring resentment against them. Yes, they were not perfect. Yes, they hurt you. I'm sorry that that happened. Don't let it rob you of the promises that God wants to make real in your life of making things go well with you from today forward. Give you health and life. Some of us, we are struggling with bitterness. It's poisoning our lives. Remember in Acts chapter 8, there's a man that was a sorcerer. He gets saved. He gets filled with the Holy Ghost. And he wants to be used by God. And he comes to Peter and says, I want this power that you have. And Peter says to him, I can see that you're poisoned by bitterness. You want to do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Why? There's something working in you that's not right. Get it out. Get it out. God says, I know you don't think about this the way I think about it. I know that the psychologists don't think about it this way. I know they don't tell you this in school, but this is the way I think about it. Respect them, honor them. It doesn't mean put yourself in position to be hurt in the same way. It means give them what God is saying for you to give them. Mary used to say to me, I'll respect you when you deserve respect. That's not what it says here. It says respect him when he's a jerk. Because sometimes I was. It's saying love her when she's nasty and hurtful with that mouth. Keep loving her. This is one of the keys before I just wrap things up. The cross is the secret to defeating the devil on any level. And the cross, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to say to yourself, self, it's not about you anymore. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what's done to you. You're going to have to say to yourself, self, we're not doing it your way anymore. We're going to pick up our cross. And why do you pick up your cross? Because someone's going to nail you to it. It's going to be painful. And the cross is about doing the right thing when others are doing the wrong thing to you. The secret to a healthy marriage is the cross. Doing the right thing when she's not doing the right thing. Doing the right thing when he's not doing the right thing. With your kids, doing the right thing when they're not doing the right thing. 
with your parents, in the workplace, doing the right thing, when they're not doing the right thing. The cross doesn't end in death. It ends in resurrection. But there's some parts of us that have to be killed off. You know, I I went to the mission field. I, I worked with another pastor. He left me with the church, and the church quadrupled in size. I was expecting him to come back and say, thank you very much. You know what? He didn't come back and say that. He came back with nails. And he put them in. And I realized that I was doing some of what I was doing for the wrong reasons. I wanted to be appreciated. And God was killing that off in me. I had to do it for him and him alone. The cross beat the devil before, it will beat the devil again. It's time for us as Christians to have the marriages and family life God wants us to have. And will it be easy? It will not be easy. It will take the cross in our lives. It will take denying myself when when I feel like withdrawing because we've had an argument. I feel like withdrawing. I got to just withdraw for just a second to get my composure and then begin my pursuit again. You know, I found that, you know, for myself with Mary, if we fought, she said things that were hurtful. I'd withdraw. Then, I, then God began to deal with me. Did my flesh want to do that, pursue? Absolutely not. There was a battle going on. Being spiritual is not about feeling right all the time. It's about doing the right thing when you don't feel like doing it. Like, love your enemies. Do you feel like loving your enemies? Do you feel like praying for them? No, you don't. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to say, feelings, we're not following you anymore. You led me into a ditch. If you do the right things, feelings will follow. I pursued my wife when I didn't feel like pursuing her. Because I thought to myself, you know what? She's kind of a pain. Maybe I should just let her stay out there and and realize she hurt me. And let her deal with the, the rejection. See, this is the thing. We're called to pursue our wives. The worst thing that we can do is rejection to them. And when we withdraw ourselves, that's what they feel. And it's acute pain. All right, here, I'm going to wrap up my points. All that Paul says... He says, but I was really speaking about Christ and the church. Well, this is the thing. We are the church, the bride of Christ. We are the church, the body of Christ. Now, he lays out four areas in which the bride is going to need some work. He says, one, submission. Talking about the church. Two, respect. Three, immaturity. Four, coldness. So what Jesus is saying to us and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us is don't despise the church 
for being unsubmissive and disrespectful and cold and immature. Some people nowadays, they're pulling back from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because they see those things. And they don't realize that this is what the scripture is actually telling us. Christ is working on this church for it to be a church without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. So just because you can see blemishes, don't despise her. She is the bride. Don't hate her because she's cold. Don't give up on her because she's immature and she doesn't respect God the way she is. Keep working with her. Keep giving her her words. Keep cherishing her as the body and help her to become all that she was meant to be. Don't give up on the bride. Don't give up on the bride. Remember when you were a teenager and you looked in the mirror and you had a blemish on your face? Seemed like me, every important event, I got a pimple on the end of my nose. <laughs> when you look in that mirror and you say, that's all I can see. And we try to cover it up, you know, and you know, my mom would come in. There's a different mom. She'd say, you know, you want me to take care of that for you? No, mom, you know, leave me alone. I'm 17 years old, you know. <laughs> but what a terrible tragedy if I really continue to think like a teenager all my life in that way. To not be able to see the person behind the blemish. The person that someone had worked on for years and years with talents and abilities, with grace, with potential, and all I could see is the blemish. The church is a beautiful, precious, living creation. Does she have her blemishes? Yes, but that's not all she is. You know, I'll end with this. Remember Esther, beautiful Esther? When she came before the king, before she came to him, for six months they soaked her in perfumes and oils. Another six months they did beauty treatments on her. What were they trying to do? It says to get rid of every blemish. How terrible it would have been to throw away Esther. She was so beautiful, but she had a few blemishes. You know, what is a blemish caused from sometimes? It's caused from a clogged pore. Some of us, we have let areas in our lives become clogged. And they're blemishes in our life. And God is after them. God's reaching for them. To unplug them. But don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the bride. You know, one of the things I say is it's amazing how good the church is doing considering how many people are actually in participating. You know what? In Africa, the Muslims are not winning. We are growing by leaps and bounds. They're afraid of us. That's why they have to kill us off because they know if they leave a remnant of us 
we will change their society. We are winning with minimal participation. But if we all get ourselves involved in helping the bride to become everything that she is meant to be, there'll be no stopping us in a city or a state or a nation. Botswana is being changed. You are part of that by your prayers and linking together. I'm telling you, it's being changed. My city is being changed. Our young people are being changed. Hallelujah. With minimal participation. Because some people are looking at the church and saying, she's ugly, she's got her blemishes. Hallelujah. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's go home without our arguments and our strongholds. Let's lay them down. And let's begin to take up the way God wants us to live. Hallelujah. And we'll see the briars and the thorns begin to disappear from our lives. Maybe it won't be today, but the process will have started. Don't give up on God in his word. You started in, you start making progress, then you have a fight. Don't say to yourself, we haven't made any progress. You've made a load of progress. You've changed the way you're thinking. You go back to doing it. It will begin to bear fruit. There's no seed that's planted which bears fruit tomorrow. Stay with it. Keep watering it. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. We thank you for grace upon our lives. We thank you that we're knowing the truth. And the truth is helping us to be free. Hallelujah. Pastor, and do what you desire to do. And I'll do whatever you want me to do. Okay. There, there was one thing that the Lord just kept saying as, uh, as Rob was, was going. Uh, you know, if, if we're not thinking like he is, and, and if our ways are not his ways, he's not the one that needs to change. right <laughs> if 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 we want the the flowers if if we want the good fruit of a godly life then we we've got to let him make our thoughts like his thoughts and make our ways like his ways and you know there's there's another thing uh if if your marriage is not bearing the kind of fruit that that Rob was talking about, uh, chances are it's taken you years to get to a bad place, and you you can't expect to uh, turn that around overnight. There there is the daily walking out of exactly what Rob was talking about. 
I'll be kind to my spouse. I will love my spouse. Today, I will be kind to my spouse. I will love my spouse. Even if my spouse is not nice to me, I will love my spouse. Even if my spouse acts like she doesn't love me, I will love my spouse. And you do that day after day after day. And pretty soon when, when you look back, things are much better. And and that's that's reality. I I feel like um, I want to ask you to pray right now and see if the Lord gives any words of knowledge for healing today or or for uh, uh, anything that He might want to do. Because uh, after. Rob did his teaching on healing yesterday. Uh, there was a release of faith for healing for those of us who were there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always God's desire to heal. It, that, that is his will. So if... If, if he'll clue us in on some of the things that he wants to do, or if if you just have faith to be healed today, then we're, we're going to see some healing today. So, so Father, we, we wait on you. Jesus, you're the head of, of this bride who's currently in... The, the process of being made beautiful. And so if, if you would like to show us what else you want to do today, then we, we want to get on board. Father, release faith for healing this morning. Mm.